jazz. So I have uh, awesome news. Oh, sorry. You want to start. Go ahead and start, and then I'll give you my awesome news, because it could be part of the podcast. Go ahead. Okay. We're ready to start the podcast, it sounds like, and so let's do it. It's <laughs> Jazz Bastard Podcast 218. I'm Pat. I'm Mike. And we're going to be doing four recordings, three from 2021, one from 2020. I don't know if you'd like to read the names or mo- laugh at me while I attempt to read them. Oh, uh, I think only one of them will give you trouble. They're, actually, they're probably two. All right, maybe all three. Uh, uh, try Jalen Baker. You got that one? No, that was the one I was sure I <laughs> That was right. the one yeah. you were having trouble with. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, Jalen Baker, This Is Me, This Is Us on Outside in Music 2021. He's a vibe player. And one reason we chose him is because there's another vibe player on this playlist, Chin Chin Lu, The Path, self-produced, as far as I can tell, from 2020. And there's a story behind that I'll tell when we talk about that particular album. How about the other two? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Gia, G, Gia, Gia no, I actually Lee? researched this. So she oh. actually said in a tweet, she said it's Jihei. Jihei. Okay, cool. So, Jihei. Uh, you know, God That's bless easy. her. Thank you. <laughs> Jihei Lee. And then uh, uh, did, did Yevgeny get back to you? No. <laughs> uh, no. Yevgeny Panam. Uh, let's see. Let's go with Panamarov. 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 Panam. It's got to be Panamarov, Panamarov, something like that, so. Panamarov. You know what's really frustrating is there's another Yevgeny, uh, Evgeny Panamarov, exact same spelling, but he's like an internet mogul. Huh. So if you Google Evgeny Panamarov, 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 when you Google EP, when you Google EP, there's another EP um, who is young and or youngish. And uh, has an internet presence uh, all around some, um, you know, thing that he's launched called Fluence or something. When you first look at it, you think, wow, dude's a pianist in jazz and a programmer. And then you realize, oh, wait, that's not true. (laughs) So anyway, I wanted to get to my big news. This crucial, important news. It will lead to a much better podcast than this news is. Drum roll. After over two years, I finally got a haircut. It's very exciting for me. Um, this happened yesterday. And it can only result in better podcasts. Uh, here on out, I blame all past uh, incompetencies for the for the previous two years on the excessive hair length. I had been growing my hair out in, in the last half of 2019 before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, of course, I didn't have a choice. Um, and so there was a trim at one point in mid 2020, but my hair had never been longer. It was down the middle of my back. It was crazy long. So yesterday went to, uh, my barber shop here in town and, uh, my lovely barber, I say lovely because she's a woman, um, uh, although it is a barber shop and, uh, we, we have a nice picture of the first cut. I asked her to, to cut like a foot off the back all at once, and I could just hold it up with a sad face. <laughs> and so I did that. And uh, yeah, I, I lost a pound. It was very exciting. Uh, and uh, there's just all kinds of things I can do now that I couldn't do before, like not wear uh, hair bands, you know? Um, I, I can eat again without tasting my hair and every other bite. And 
even more important, you have long hair, Pat. You know, the, the, the thing is, you take it out of the, the soft scrunchy late at night so that it can just kind of rest. But you have to kind of flip it out so, so that it doesn't get tangled in your neck or under your back while you turn over. You know, it's a big ha- Long hair is a hassle. And I yeah, don't I've like completely hit the pause button on the recording, but keep going. You're, you're doing oh, great. Oh, dude, I can't believe this is awesome stuff. <laughs> you, you suck. You suck. So anyway, uh, I, I have uh, if I could show you it, but I won't. Um, it looks a little bit like um, it looks a little David Lynchian, I have to say. It's kind of you know this graying mop on top, longish, and and uh, I look a little like uh, I could make a racer head in my near future. So did did you save the the, the clippings to make a cousin it or we we had thought about that and and family said I should have. And I probably should have, if only because um, the hair on the top and sides of my head is increasingly gray, but the the hair in back was, you know, uh, the lovely brown auburn we've all know, uh, all come to know and love over the years. And I should have saved it, but no, I just threw it out. So. Uh, okay. Well, so much for home craft projects. Yeah. I guess we're getting out yeah. more. I could have days, I could have so. woven a merkin. So. Okay. Well, I also wanted to mention uh, something before we get started. Uh, from time to time, not as often as we like, but we do get emails from listeners. And uh, we got a really nice one from a Brazilian listener. Yeah. Uh, and it was very eloquent. And, uh, you know, at one point he said that he didn't used to listen to any podcast. We discovered Gramophone UK's podcast and ours. And ours is much better than Gramophone's. And he talked about that, you know, Brazil is not a great nation to listen to jazz in and most brazilians don't listen to music seriously and then you know he mentioned they're awful president i thought well luckily we americans do not know what it's like (laughs) awful incompetent president we we will try to imagine our way into it it was just a really nice email i think it it was very kind to us i'm not going to read it all because that'd be patting our backs but really i guess what i want to say is suck it gramophone That's right. It's on Gramophone. I've I've now downloaded one of their podcasts. I got to listen to it. I I actually read Gramophone, and they're everybody there is much smarter than I am. They understand classical music, and they know all the fifty different recordings of you know these. It's amazing the amount of musical knowledge these people have. But anyway, so, huh? Yeah, so. they can they can they can yeah. That's nice. Uh, I read that email as well. I thought it was very kind. The, I think the thing I liked most about it is the thing you said where it's like. You know, we, we're we're kind of fans. You know, we kind of talk about this shit like fans do. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually true. It's so. our only qualification. It's true. Yeah. yeah well, it was especially. Uh, so I, my birthday was Wednesday, and I got oh, a that's presents. right. Oh my god, I forgot. I have to get you something. Oh, Holy I, shit. Well, I, I, I got totally the best forgot. present. Of all, the best present you can have for your birthday, and the day before your birthday, and the day after, visit from the in-laws. So <laughs> they were there, and then and not. I get along fine with them. Mom's getting a little trouble with the memory. Dad's a very kind person, a little hard to please, extremely Republican, but but a nice guy. I mean, generally good person, you know. But it's just a little awkward when you come home from work exhausted and there's everybody waiting for you, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, and then at work, a lady was extraordinarily upset that her son, very very young, and you know, that's always shocking, uh, died without a will, and his biological father, who disowned him for being gay was going to inherit some of his estate because that's what the law says, basically. Right. And she yelled at me about it for about 10 minutes. Now, I mean, I knew at the time that she wasn't really angry with me, but I'm still getting yelled at for 10 minutes. She actually apologized you know, later. It, and again, I understand. It's just like, that's just not fun. So anyway, this email was especially appreciated. It is nice to hear from listeners because, you know, it's, you're kind of sending this out in the void and, 
you know, we spend a lot of time on it and, you know, we try to, we, we don't do as much research as some people, as you can tell, but, you know, we, we think about it, try to prepare for it and everything. And it's, it's just nice to hear back. And, uh, you know, I got to say, you didn't say play this or do this or, you know, which is, uh, we always love suggestions, but it was just literally just kind of a, a nice thought. So, yeah, it was, you guys don't suck and continue yeah. to not suck. So that was nice. I don't want to make light of it. It sounds like it's bad in Brazil. I mean, all the reports I'm getting from there is like, wow, you know, this guy's plan yeah. was just let's let's see if we can get to herd immunity, which is someone explained mathematically would have meant like 1.4 million Brazilians dying of coronavirus. You know, maybe not the best plan. Maybe another plan would be better. So anyway, I, I don't know anything about Brazilian politics, but the little I've heard, which of course is always from a biased perspective, makes it sound like he's not the best president ever. So anyway, thank no. you so much for those kind thoughts. Um, do you have a preference as to where we start? I mean, I assume we'll do the vibes players back to back, but other than that, I don't. No, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to have, this is going to be a hard podcast. So um, it doesn't matter which end of the Rubik's cube we start at. I'm going to have trouble all the way through. So just wherever you want to go. Well, I want to suggest that we do Evgeny Evgeny. Evgeny. Stop saying that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Evgeny. <laughs> Please don't call me and yell at me about the intasted law of Indiana. I'm sorry. I should just I shouldn't yell at you. It's just fun to yell at you though sometimes. I know. I'm I'm just I just take it take it like a whipped dog. Clockwise take it like a man. Yes. on rainy day records. And this is, in some ways, well, I don't know. A lot of these are fairly straight, but this was kind of a, a quartet with a couple guests. Um, he's a pianist, a very fine pianist, saxophonist, Andre Polovko, bassist Grigory. Okay. And there's a drummer named Peter, and there's a guitarist. Well, I'm going to have a try at some of these. And saxophonist Andre Polovko, bassist Grigory. Vasco Boynik, drummer Peter Mikheyev, guitarist Pavel Ilushin, cornetist Peter Vostokov, trombone and tuba, trombone and tuba player Anton Gamazet, uh, let's see, Gamazet Dinov, Gamazet Dinov, I think that's it. And as an American, I feel like I've just drank a bunch of vodka, which is not at all fair. <laughs> I'm sure when you hear American names, you feel like, man, I just drank a Pepsi, I've got sugar rush. Anyway, you know, I just to start with, I, I think this was a little bit more accessible than a couple of the albums on this rotation. Yes. Um, and I felt like in some ways, maybe the name was influencing the way I listened to the tracks, but I felt like I kind of, it kind of worked. I kind of liked, you know, I kind of felt like there are moments of rhythmic interest here that, that bounce off this clockwise title. I don't know. I'm not saying it's like a theme album or something. And certainly it's not annoying the way just a ticking clock would be. I'm not trying to say it's a mechanical sounding, but I guess some of the songs seem to be about subdividing rhythms in an interesting way, and I just thought the title kind of worked. What do you think of this one? Uh, my main beef is that, um, and this is, so I'll, I'll get the negative out of the way right away. It's a little samey. 
That is yeah. to say, yeah, the, the tracks have a kind of um, sameness to them. But um, I, I, for whatever reason, kind of kind of grokked this. I kind of dug it. So you know, it may be a pianist leader date, but he's kind of a recessive voice here. And what we get a lot of, it feels like to me, are these sort of you know harmonic or chordal statements over which, in particular, the saxophone. Later, some of the other guests. You know, a lot of uh, sort of harmonic or rhythmic building kind of grooves that, that you know, mid-tempo, mid-up-tempo grooves that kind of build over which the the saxophonist and the guests huh. tend to solo, uh, interestingly. That's how it sort of felt to me. And I kind of like that. The kind of key to the music, it feels like once you unlock one song, you've sort of unlocked a lot of them. They, they all kind of follow this this mode with, you know, the piano and the percussion kind of vamping in the back and then the sort of building harmonic progression with the saxophone soloing over. That seems to be kind of like a thing, you know, and then there'll be, you know, moments of quiet where it sort of all recedes and then it sort of, you know, builds again. I kind of like that. That's kind of up my street. I, I do feel like one of the songs felt really different. Which one was it? No, it wasn't Last Rain. One of them felt like it had a little more. Was it What's Next? I don't know. That one I felt like. Which was one has the Which one has uh, the electric piano? Didn't one of them have electric piano, or am I thinking of one of the other releases? You know, I'm not sure. I, I feel like for me, What's Next was do 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 do. Anyway, that was the one that I kind of I felt like was a catch, the most immediately catchy tune. Hmm. Uh, I like the best of, of the tunes in terms of just kind of, I don't know, you know, just kind of being near where I'm getting. Did you feel like um, a lot of the time signatures or sorry, a lot of the, well, yeah, time signatures, you know, did it feel sort of similar in terms of pace, like song to song to you? Well, you know, I didn't, hmm, I didn't feel like it got in a rut for me particularly. It did seem, as I said, that there was a kind of a thematic gravity to it. And that it was exploring, you know, kind of rhythmic ideas and songs that were kind of catchy little riffs that, you know, that, again, maybe surely because the word was put in front of my face, you know, uh, reminded me a little bit of clockwork or cute little mechanisms, you know, maybe a happy cartoon clock, not a purely mechanical one. But, you know, so I, I don't think I felt like it it bogged down too much. I mean, the other thing is it's, it's a fairly short record. No, it's not long. Yeah. Six tracks and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I didn't, I, monotony did not set in for me, but I, I would agree there's at least thematic cohesion. And I guess one person's thematic cohesion, you know, can slip over into monotony. It's kind of, can be a fine line. So, well, it, it just felt to me like there were a lot of songs that kind of, it felt like a, three or four of them at least kind of had this sort of, you know, these, you have the musical language to describe this. I don't. With sort of, you know, da, da, you know, sort of, you know, cycling through, you know, sort of chords. Right, yes. And then 
especially the saxophone player is soloing over that in an interesting way. Now, before that gets too boring, there'll be like middle sections where everything sort of there'll be like an interlude where, you know, it kind of changes pace and we get a slower section, you know, almost like, you know, it's almost like three movements or something. Most of these songs are, you know, five and a half to, uh, I think, max around eight or nine minutes, right? So, you know, they do kind of, they kind of break into units that way. But then after the sort of slow middle interlude, we return back to the kind of, you know, the vamping over which the saxophone kind of, you know, picks up. It never gets, you know, really out. You know, no one ever no, is. Yeah. There's nothing really frenetic here. It's always sort of coloring within the lines, as it were. Um, so it feels very, um, very tasteful in a way, very measured. The thing I'm groping for here maybe is a little, you know, reminded me in a very oblique way of, you know, think about Coltrane's quartet, right? Where you get a lot of the sort of the boiler room below over which John kind of goes to town. You know, there's a little bit of that here, except it's not this aching, yearning, spiritual thing. It's this kind of tasteful build, you know, uh, tension release. And, and it does feel like it has a similar pattern song to song. I do think I like the first song best. I like Clock quite a bit. And that kept coming up in the rotation. And I was, I was kind of happy with that. That one I kind of grokked to more than anything else. But uh, I also thought, um, you know, it's a piano leader date. And I didn't feel like he took a lot of... I didn't feel like he took a lot of what you would call solos, but he vamps interestingly in some of these building moments. I don't know how else to put it. Do you have any sense of him as a player from listening to this or no? I, I don't know. No, I don't think as a soloist he was real distinctive. So, you know, I, I think I kind of think of, I assume he's a conceptualist and a composer. This one was not as documented as some. You know, it's interesting when we get these released albums right. that some have pages of just kind of painstaking analysis of each song and then some are more like a paragraph and this was this was a shorter thing so i because i was trying to look up a couple answer a couple questions and i realized oh there's you know this doesn't go on as long as some of the press releases uh you know to me there were some departures this is dramatic almost semi-classical ending to eminence you know the piano stuff kind of bursts out and then um you know i thought the guitar solo on hempfield was pretty good Uh, i think that's it took me a while to kind of catch that in my ears and focus on it, but I mean, it, it's, I'm not saying it's Halverson levels, but it, I think it went places and it, you know, just, it, it, it was a well above average. Uh, it's a, solo. it's the scronkiest moment on an otherwise relatively buttoned down date, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I didn't feel like they were, I, I felt like they were executing the concept as they wanted to. It didn't seem right. repressed to me. No. But yeah, I agree. it was, it was not an attempt to, you know, it's not really an outdate. It, it's more just we're going to present in a pretty classic uh, jazz format. These songs that have a, a little bent to them that, again, perhaps influenced by the cover art and the title, seem to kind of hang together as being explorations of, you know, these, these little kind of tight little patterns and, and rhythmic cells. And 
uh, without being too programmatic, but but still there's a sense of that theme. So I, you yeah. know, I felt like there's a couple songs that you know had ideas in them that I remember, and that that may seem like I'm being insulting, but most jazz no, songs a, don't. You know, it's a big deal these days to to have yeah. to find hooks. You know, I mean, when we listen to a new release that that has hooks, um, New for Five, remember her. Um, I forget the name of the release, but we liked it a lot last year. Yeah. Um, Treasure Island or something like that. I forget something Island, you know, that was really hooky, you know, like first listen, you know, and it, it wasn't, I don't think it was trite by any, by any means. So anytime we hear something that has hooks, it's like, oh, wow, cool. I'm, I'm all in, you know, and clock, uh, worked that way for me on this release. It does strike me that at some point. It might be useful, just you know, signaling to the masses out there um, that you know we we do a kind of um, new releases podcast on some of the Russians because you know when I was looking over the the release for this, they you know Lydia Liebman's release mentions you know Sasha Mashin, Azat Bayadzov, and Yevgeny Sitsov, and these are all people who we've listened to, and right, I think at least we talked about Sasha a couple times, you know, so it's like, hmm, you know, if these guys are all playing with each other, and you know, Rainy Day Records is going to keep recording these guys, then there's kind of a scene, let's 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 listen to them, uh, you know, as a group, and see what affinities exist amongst them, so something to look forward to maybe in the future is us doing a podcast cool. just on the, on the, the new Russians, the new Russian Moscow scene as it were. And a new for Fay, uh, Serenity Island. Serenity Island. That's Much what it was. better album than the title would suggest. Uh, yes. On episode very, 192. Very fact, hooky. We did uh, Sasha Moshin's Happy Synapse, uh, right. which we liked. I like, I think both of us liked better than the first out of the box album we talked about on that episode as well. Right. So that was, that was a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. In fact, I also like Charles Pillow's Chamber Jazz from that one. That was another one of a lot of new ones. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this, I just, you know, I was thinking, I, I, I got an LP of Bobby Hutcherson's Patterns, and I love all of Bobby's Blue Note albums, but they kind of, if I haven't been listening to them recently, I don't necessarily remember one to the other all that distinctly. Like, my God, this is one with James Spaulding. It's like, every song on this is good and memorable, and man, this is a good record. And that was one where he didn't write a single tune. It was mainly Joe Chambers and then, you know, but it's like, wow, this record's got so much charisma. You know, it just, and the last song is just this very quiet mood piece. It's just the flute plays a melody. That's it. It's just, it's brave. It's not every song has to follow the same, you know, head solo, head pattern. Wow. And it is, it's, you know, not every jazz record, even from the classic era is like that. And yeah, this one I think's got some good ideas. Well, are you ready to move on to the first disciple of which I'm aware of Jar- Darcy James argue? Ah, that's interesting. Um, yes, I am. Um, I wondered if there was a connection because, my God, it sounds like there's one, doesn't it? Yeah. This is a an album where the titles are kind of themed. It's called Daring Mind on Motomo Music. 
uh, from 2021. Yeah, this is a Jihei Lee Orchestra, and it is a big band. And obviously she's done all the writing on it, and everyone is a different kind of mind. So, yeah, it, it's I, apparently she, this is her second record. She made her first one called April in 2017. She's South Korean originally. And I, I found out reading about her that she started out as a pop singer and then became a jazz composer. Now, that's got to be a strange career path. And as far as I know, she's a composer. I mean, I don't, I don't think she she doesn't play on this album. She wrote it. Well, she, I know she can play piano. I mean, she had piano lessons. But, yeah, I, I did some yeah. reading on her as well and uh, arrived at the Berkeley College of Music uh, not speaking English and not having a major. That's always a good way to arrive at a new country at a new university, right? You know? Yeah. I don't know the language and I don't know what I want to do. And so she ended up in jazz, uh, you know, of course, um, which is kind of interesting uh, as well. Um, I was going to ask if there was a Darcy James RU connection because if you've listened to a lot of Darcy James, as we have, you're going to hear some echoes. And I certainly heard them and I'm, I'm glad to find out there's a connection. What is the connection? I, I mean, I think she's worked with them. I think, ah. he's, you know, some kind of. Uh, Master disciple, I, that's being ridiculous. I mean, it, she she's been influenced by him. I don't know if he's directly tutored her or mentored her, but, but again, I didn't I didn't read too deeply into her career. But um, yeah, she's apparently in his orbit. It's my mm. understanding, and of course, just in a sense, I mean, anybody leading a modern big band in this era, there's only a few peers you've got. I mean, you talk to Maria Schneider, you talk to him, and then you just I guess you go home. I, you know, I'm, I'm, there's some others out there, but especially the kind of, I don't know. I mean, I think for a lot of people, big band is kind of a fun medium that just the power of it and the nostalgia of it, you know, those are kind of its, its main calling cards and the people that are in it for kind of artsy reasons, few and far between, not, not an easy medium to present new challenging arrangements and it's just economically kind of tough so what do you think did you like this as much and you're a bigger darcy james argue fan than i am though i like him quite a bit did, did you like this or do you feel yeah the... i i like this quite a bit this this uh this was my favorite of the week by far um, oh, okay i i like the hell out of this and you know maybe maybe it's I sometimes wonder, do we like what's familiar? You know, if once you've taken a while, once you've taken some time to get something under your belt, you feel maybe. I, so I'm questioning myself a little bit here. Once you've taken some time to get something under your belt, it, you, it becomes kind of self-congratulatory when you hear something that sounds like it and you make that connection. And so, you know, Darcy James argue was not an immediate. I love this, but it was close to that. You know, and when I you listened to his releases repeatedly, you know really dug them and, and, and dug into them enough where like I recognize tunes by him at this point, you know, I, I can pick certain tunes out, which is, you know, an achievement in modern big band jazz. So when I heard this, I immediately thought of him and the sonic language feels real uh, familiar. It's a very intricate part writing for the whole big band with room for featured soloists, you know? So right. who's the, who's the trumpeter here who gets a lot of play, Sean Jones, yeah, he is Sean Jones, Jones. and he 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 acquits himself very well here. He's he's quite good, but there are some featured soloists, and I I don't know who everyone is. I mean, I don't even know who all the players are in the band, but there are some featured players uh, in the brass section, for example. There's a couple of lovely trombone solos uh, that occur on different numbers here that I, I just love to death. 
yeah, I think this is awfully accomplished and really sonically rewarding. It is big boy music, big girl music. Put on the put on the headphones and settle in and pay attention because these things develop. There is a kind of you know organic uh, development to each piece. Uh, some are longer than others. I probably I probably prefer the shorter ones to the longer ones. So the opener, Relentless Mind, is is a favorite, and uh, Dissatisfied Mind is good. GB, I feel like, is a little meandering uh, at times. Uh, it feels... So occasionally some of the pieces feel a little portentous. Mm-hmm. So, so the longer ones, um, GB, Unshakable Mind, I, I, I felt sometimes they felt a little top-heavy to me. I don't know. I don't know if you had that same experience. They felt a little as if they were striving for... A f- more effect or something whereas the shorter pieces so most things here are you know five or six minutes long the shorter pieces felt I, I could wrap my mind around them a little bit more there are three longer pieces on here that clock in around nine to ten minutes and I, I didn't like any of those three as well as I like the rest of the album the one I thought was most successful was um, this piece she uh, dedicated to a friend called Suji which has some really lovely part writing uh, along the way and there's some really pretty solos in there as well um but yeah i like the shorter ones better i thought the longer ones sometimes were a little top heavy when i say top heavy what i mean is it just feels like they're striving they're more effortful um in a way where the other stuff felt to me kind of just organic and i I just really liked them i kind of i kind of just reveled in listening to them you know i thought maybe she should have renamed some of the longer ones she's got a shorter one here called struggle gives you strength and i felt like maybe the long one should have been called struggle gives you strength because i felt like my strength was being taxed in listening to those longer numbers um yeah well struggle gives you strength is the gospel one right yeah yeah, you you know it kind of and i thought well you know i guess carla blay does this and i thought well yeah it doesn't really come off that she does it either (laughs) it's just kind of like an idiom it just seemed a little too far out to, to go there or just seem like, okay, we got this art band. Are you going to play this kind of quasi gospel tune idiomatically? Does it seem like you're, you're buying into it? And it, yeah, it, you know, it was not my favorite moment of the album just because it, and we've, we've got a, another one of those coming up where yeah. it just seems like an odd gesture to make. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. That's all right. I, you know, I just, uh, I, I like writing like this where there's sort of interesting ensemble, like interesting part writing for the different groups in the orchestra that, you know, keep the proceedings interesting that then someone solos over. And, you know, typically these bands, everyone is an ace player. So everyone's going to, you know, anyone who solos is going to acquit themselves well. There's a, there's a really fine clarinet solo. Uh, I think it's a clarinet solo on um, Suji. Um, but any, any, any number here you could pick out, you know, uh, two or three solos in the course of the number that are like, you know, really fine. I didn't hear any, any solos where I thought, 
well, that was a waste of 30 seconds. You know, uh, they're all good. So, yeah, this just, I don't know. I just like this. This felt comfortable to me, and I felt like I could listen to a lot more of this. Um, but, yeah, I, I did think the longer numbers, you know, sometimes, I don't know, they were a little... Suji has wonderful things in it, and then there are parts where I'm like, okay... I'm getting anxious. Let's, 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 you know, let's get back to the big stuff. Let's get back to something. There's sort of a piano interlude in the middle that kind of make me sleepy. I mean, it's pretty. I just was like, I wanted to get back to the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah. And then when the horns start to pick up again, I'm like, okay, here we go. So yeah, maybe I'm just, you know, being crabby, but uh, yeah, I, I think this was my favorite release. It sounds like I'm dispraising it because there's three longer cuts that gave me trouble, but um, no, I, I actually like this quite a bit. Thought it was really strong, and her backstory is amazing. Yeah, it is just like I said, it's it's a not the typical story, and of course, just to go into arranging for large jazz ensemble at all is always going to be a strange story because it is a, a job description of which there's very little demand for. You really have to kind of create the opportunity because it's just not you know economically viable for the most part. So it's kind of neat to see this happening. Yeah, I, I don't want to go into every single name. I do like the fact one of the trombone players is named Nick Grinder, great name for a trombonist, but it is, it's a full big band, uh, you know, full rhythm, five reeds, four trumpets, four trombones. So it's, you know, the, the full scale thing. And she writes a lot for them. A lot of intricate part writing, as you were saying, you know, I was, I've been listening recently to Out of the Cool, uh, hmm. by Gil Evans, and that is where you can see it's a fantastic sounding record. Uh, on impulse where, you know, the, the ones on Pacific Jazz, which I love, they had trouble with the engineering. But, you know, the Pacific Jazz ones and the early ones he did with Miles, you know, the writing is very intricate. The parts are amazing. And then by the time you get to Out of the Cool, he is starting to strip back. And he's more concerned with creating textures and, and opportunities for blowing, but less concerned with writing out 15, you know, parts where everyone's playing a slightly different line kind of thing. And, you know, to some degree, when he goes further down that line, I just find some of the results less interesting than his earliest stuff. But, you know, he just kind of he had that move in here. Some of it may be a little bit cluttered almost. You know, she probably could have gotten the same effect with less effort, a less effortful mind. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like some of it pretty well. I think that it I think I finally decided that a lot of this is and some of this is true of some of Darcy's stuff. If you think about jazz as being often a horizontal music where there is a sense of a grooving along, progression, call it swing, call it whatever, as opposed to rock, which is often pogoing in place or, you know, the different rhythmic traditions of the different genres. This tends not to have a lot of horizontal movement for me. It, it, it kind of it goes along. It's not like it's slowing down or not making progress, but it doesn't feel it feels effortful sometimes. So in some of the numbers, I just like it. I just like a, a little looser feeling, I guess. And I think that might come with a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit less writing and a little bit more, you know, just kind of involvement of, you know, just swing, whatever you want to call it. And I don't mean it has to be in traditional swing rhythms, but but that sense of movement, you know, you can play as the most current hip hop beat you want, whatever. You know, I, I don't care about the, the pattern. It doesn't have to be ding, ding, a ding. But I'd like a little bit more flow, I guess. She definitely writes, he's got distinctive ideas. So there's a gospel number. Why is that is kind of the funny number, right? I think some of the writing right. in that one is, is very intentionally humorous. You know?
it reminds me a little bit of that dare you know it doesn't sound like that song at all but that same kind of attitude why is that you know like a child is trying to figure out why does this work this way why do you do that that way you know i don't know if that was inspiration for it but there's certainly supposed to i think be a funny song um Dissatisfied Mind was the one that struck me as having a little Carl Stalling in it. It was almost, you know, lots of very distinctive patchwork ideas uh, hopping around there. And, you know, obviously all this is played at a super high level. And, you know, I agree the musicianship is fantastic and the writing is impressive as hell because it's hard to do this. It's hard to write all these parts out and, you know, figure it out. I'm just saying you might be able to get away with a little bit less of it. It might even be more fun, but it, it's it's impressive that she did all of it. And then I, in Relentless Mind, and maybe he was just on my mind for some reason, but the bass line of that song, and to some degree the flow of it, reminded me a lot of Todd Sikafus's Tiny Resistors. Huh. An, an album I'm just obsessed with. But there's a couple, you know, there's a song or two on there where the, I swear, if you go back, and I'm not saying she like stole from, you know, I'm just saying that there's a rem, you know, it's just reminiscent, not, not that it's a copy or something, but there's that kind of groove with the bass, and I don't know, I can, I'm not, I don't have the vocabulary to describe some of the rhythms he uses. I mean, that Tiny Resistors is a record I just, I hold in extraordinarily high regard. I don't know if it's a jazz album, but it's, it's an instrumental album. I've just always found it super great. And you know, that that song was kind of like, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever heard anything that reminded me of that album before. But that one picture song did. And of course, that's a good thing for me because I, I love Tiny Resistors. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on. You know, overall, I liked it. I just for me, it was maybe a little bit too tightly wound and busy. And like I said, I have to go back and listen to Darcy again. I'm missing a little bit of the engine room motor where the writing and the playing flows a little more, I guess. It's amazing what it's doing. I just don't always get a sense of flow. That said, she's obviously incredibly young. All right. Do you have anything else to say as what I got wrong about? No. I, although I, you know, I don't. I don't. I didn't think that the uh, the gospel song was as on the nose as you did. But okay. Um, and, so and that's and a probably, different. Yeah, it probably wasn't. I need to go back and I just heard a couple of gestures and it was probably more complicatedly framed than I got. All right. Are you ready to go to vibraphone land? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Jalen Baker, the name I can say. This is me. This uh-huh. is us. Outside in Music 2021. I believe this is this young man's debut. In fact, both of these, I think, are debuts. No? Yes. And it's, it's, it's a group with Paul Cornish on trumpet. No, I'm sorry. Let me try again. Paul Cornish on piano. Gifton Gellin on trumpet. Gabriel Kodai. All right, this is, I think he's making up names so they alliterate on bass. Gavin Mulchan on drums. And what else? What have I forgotten to mention? Jessica McJunkins, violin. Orlando Wells, violin. Andrew Griffin, viola. Susan Mandel, cello. Ulysses Owens, producer. That's right. He's got a string quartet in this sucker. 
So we've got a jazz group plus string quartet. What do you think? I mean, was this a good idea to include them? I, I've got mixed feelings myself. I don't think it was like a disaster or anything, but. And this is the one that gave me the most trouble. I, you know, vibraphonists always give me trouble. Um, I, I'm just, uh, I don't, I don't, I always have to, I struggle with, with vibes right. as just a, you know, a thing and uh, trying to figure out what I think about them and how I think about them. And this one gave me just far and away the most trouble. I, I man, I'm going to sound like I'm only going to be saying bad things by struggling to say anything. So I like the Stevie Wonder cover. Oh, yeah, the, the last tune solo performance of Love's in Need of Love Today. I think it is a strong ending. Yeah, a really nice ending. I take it you don't like some of the moves toward religiosity here? Which song it got on your nerves? Well, it's this is one of those albums that has a whole bunch of political titles. Yeah. And listening to it has a whole bunch of, to this white boy, no political resonance at all. When you listen, I mean, it doesn't sound, it's like, okay, this sounds like a very angry title, and this sounds like another oblique post-bop. A uh, song led by a vibraphonist that <laughs> doesn't make me think of that theme at all. I, I you know, I, I don't. You know, and that's, you know, what's interesting about that is that's the advantage of using uh, spoken word or hip hop or rap as an additive to to your jazz, because that will give you the the verbal component that will tie the title to the politics Whereas, you know, when you get a political title or, you know, just a religious title, right? I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of songs here. Prayer for, you know, healing patients. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, prayer for the fallen. Praise, faith, obey, disobey. You know. I, but I guess I also thought of those as potentially, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess you're yeah. right. There's a religious expression. But when you say prayer for the fallen, do we mean fallen in the sense of the sinful fallen or the fallen that were killed by cops. I don't know. I, exactly. I guess I was yeah, reading I it maybe wrongly through that political lens and the obey, disobey, you know, I, I, but, but you're right. When you say it that way, you're right. Well, yes, a lot of the language is religious. So I, yeah, maybe I missed that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I mean, even, even if the language is religious, right. I, I didn't feel like a lot of, um, over religious or gospel tones as I listened to this. Not that that's a good thing or a bad thing either way, right? I'm, I'm just saying when, you know, when I listen to praise or faith, you know, I, I'm not hearing those notes as much, right? Those aren't front and center for me. Um, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around this, and it's the one that I kept, you know, coming back to and listening to on random whenever I could to try and get some kind of sense of, yeah, of the too. album and Artists of Jalen. Yeah, and of Jalen Baker as a player. He seems like a really fine player. As always, the musicianship on these things is really high. There's not a single song here apart from 
the Stevie Wonder number that I really connected to. Like when I heard it, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to, you know, dig into that a few more times. Like I like the playing. The playing is good, but nothing here kind of jumped out and grabbed me. And and that's going to be a distinction between Jalen Baker for me and Chen Chen Lu. Her album, The Path, I think, ha- has a number of gestures in it that grabbed me, that, that worked for oh, me. Oh, yeah, it's and, a much more public face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the- a, it, it's 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 sort of immediately engaging in a certain way that Jalen Baker's album isn't. You know, so we talk about dogs and cats. This is a cat, and I have not figured out how to pet this cat yet. Like, I like this cat, I, I like the music that this cat makes, but I have not figured out, you know, I don't know if this cat likes me, and I don't know how much I like this cat. I, I, I think the musicianship is really fine, but uh, I have a, I'm have having a difficult time with this one, and I just kept coming back to it. Uh, I listened to it more than any other album for this mm-hmm. week. Uh, over six plays for every song, and, and some, you know, I, I listened to a couple of cuts 11 times, and I'm, I still am not there you know so I, listeners take this with a huge grain of salt because mike just has problems with vibraphone players it's just it's it's a hard uh it's it's just always a struggle for me to kind of figure out where i enter into that music and, and how i enjoy it and uh and that's well documented in in this in the history of this podcast you know they're but you love something. Bobby Hutcherson. So there's Hutcherson's, but see, he's, you know, uh, there are reasons for that, right? Some of that is familiarity. It's just the amount of time I've of listened course, to yeah. If I had listened to Jalen Baker as much as I've listened to Bobby Hutcherson, you know, I would have strong opinions. And at this point, I don't have strong opinions, apart from the fact that I think he's a fine player. I like the trumpet player here a lot uh, as okay, well. Okay, so I felt like he you was didn't maybe like the not as strong player. as he could have been. Not, really? not uh, super thrilled. I mean, I think the, the, to me, the biggest takeaway I had with this, if you're going to write very oblique, unmemorable music, and you're going to play vibraphone, you need somebody who is a warm, direct, straightforward player as a balance. And the piano player sometimes was super oblique and, you know, I, and, and uh, the trumpet player, I just I didn't find super strong. Period. But but you you need a voice in there that. But you know, if you look at like Miles Davis's classic bands or whatever, you know, he was he didn't look for somebody like him to play the other horn. He looked for somebody who was nothing fucking like him at all. And when he got somebody who was regressive on tenor like a Mobley, he played different because he knew you had to balance out those those forces. To have a, an organism, a larger group that that worked, and I feel like everybody was going down the same rabbit holes here, huh. and nobody was quite warm enough or direct enough. And you really need is like is Illinois Jaquette on the phone? You need somebody <laughs> who kind of like you know can play in this music without sounding like he's or she is absorbed into its labyrinthine, you know twists and turns and, and can just kind of directly talk to you and then the coolness of the vibes which are kind of part of their legacy you know they're it's kind of built in you know i mean there's just you're not, you're not going to get super hot on the vibes <laughs> it just doesn't happen and i love them i mean i i i love vibraphone but you know it's just it's, it's the nature of it and that sometimes like in the modern jazz quartet it can be kind of difficult to listen to those records because there's nobody like that you know i mean milt is as hot as it gets and J- lewis is cooler than him and connie k's 
been handcuffed somewhere. I don't know what they did that guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just all too, it's, it's all very, very tamped down. And, you know, the, one of the brilliancies of this patterns I've been listening to with Bobby Hutchinson is you got James Spaulding. Well, nobody holds down James Spaulding in the sixties. You know, he's, and it, you know, he's got that kind of, uh, Dolphy-esque energy that bounces beautifully off Hutch. Just as you know, if you look it out to lunch, you, you know, I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. Or, or Elvin Jones is drumming with Hutch on a Andrew Hill's judgment. You know, my God, so good. Um, so anyway, I, I yeah, this record, I, I fe- felt like it was the most caught up in the kind of, let's call it post Osby idiom, you know, <laughs> where it's, it's like, you know, I, God damn it, I'm going to make sure there's nothing you can hum. I've taken this pledge, you know, <laughs> and we're going to stay harmonically out. We're never going to play avant-garde. We're never going to play a wrong note, but by God, we're never going to play a predictable one either. And I get that. I mean, we had some of this problem with Joel Ross, right? The, the first yeah. record. Second record was moving a little bit more towards talking to humans on, on Earth. But the first one was kind of, you know... Just a, a hell of a lot of this stuff where it's like you've been to music school and you got A's. I don't care. Let's play something that actually reaches me as a human being. You're great. You're talented. I mean, then there are moments you know, I, I noticed him working out ideas fairly systematically on we regret to inform you. I just felt like I could, you know, I could almost hear him, his mind working, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, clearly this was not just random riff running. I mean, he's, he's thinking out a pattern, but you could almost hear him thinking. And so at some point he's going to get past that point. He's just going to play and it's going to be even better structured because if you're letting the back of your mind do the driving, that's when the really great stuff happens. But um, yeah, I, this one was very hard to get into. And, you know, he's a real young guy, and I think he's a fine player, and I think the group is fine. It just, it, this one more so than um, the uh, clock clockwise or clockwork or whatever it was, I felt was in danger of being much of a muchness. You know, that it was just kind of hard to separate out the various tunes. And again, I think the, the titles, whether religious or political or both, I, I think you can instrumentally, to some degree, represent anger or energy or you know it's just like coltrane was trying to explain to people i'm not angry he's like you sound angry john you sound angry are you, are you upset john are the 60s getting you down you know so there are you know there are ways of playing that you know the old traditional energy jazz but there are ways of writing too that i think can convey that and i just i for me these songs didn't they may he may have been feeling those feelings and thinking of those thoughts as he wrote them and played them and he may be able to, if he explained to me what was going on there, I might such say, oh, I get it now. You know, I'm out. But on the first few listens, yeah, it was kind of hard. Uh, yeah, I feel, uh, the other thing I would say, so I, I'm going to agree with you on the trumpet player. Um, I, I felt like, even with the good headphones, I felt like the bass was down in the mix. I had a hard time picking up the bass player. Um, and the drummer is very busy, which is not a bad thing, but he's busy. There's a lot going on. And... Between uh, the drummer and Jalen, you know, playing together, that kind of all starts to blend for me at a certain moment. It all sort of becomes much of a muchness. And to me, in that setting, uh, the trumpet is a more astringent sort of note cutting through, you know, cutting against, giving me something, giving my ear something to kind of hang on to.
And the cuts that I liked the least were the cuts that did not have any prominent trumpet playing. And then I was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't know where to listen. I don't know what to listen to. I don't, I'm having a hard time kind of picking up, you know, where's the bite, you know? And then it feels like it sort of turns into an extended vibe solo over drums. Faith is like that, you know, Faith is mostly Baker over drums. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no, there's no trumpet voice, even as counterpoint to kind of, you know, connect to. I mean, a trumpet and vibes work well together as kind of contrasting. Uh, right, know, it's a hotter instrument. A lot of, yeah, well, it's a hotter instrument. You've got sustain versus, you know, non-sustain, you know, depending on how you play the trumpet. Um, and, you know, you know, sort of sharp, speedy, punctuated notes, you know, to sort of cut through or cut against the, the texture of the vibes. And so when that happens here, I, I'm, I'm happier because I feel like uh, there's fiber. I can, I can grab onto something sonically. And then in other numbers, like Faith, I'm like, I, I, you know, maybe I'm just stupid, you know, and that's certainly possible. I just, you know, because there isn't a melody and right. there isn't anything really to hum, I'm kind of like, well, what, what am I, am I just supposed to let this wash over? Like, where, where's my emotional entry into this? Where do I, where do I connect? Yeah, and of course, we haven't talked about them, but you've also got these strings going on a lot of the time. Yeah, and you know, are... I didn't think they, I think they're negligible, don't you? I don't think they add much. Well, yeah. I guess it's just another, and they're not badly done. They're they're played no. very well. I don't want to, but it it's it's tough. I again, you know, the one of the best strings with horn albums ever is Art Pepper's Winter Moon, and that's because you've got a, a pretty standard issue, you know, nice Beto strings, and this agonized cracked voice, you know, blowing over it. And so the contrast is so vivid, you know, and you, there's no question that he's feeling every note. And to some degree, Parker, less so, but, uh, man, I, I, I got the little 10 inch uh, reissues of Parker stuff on Verve, including the string stuff. And among other things, Norman Grant says, finally, Charlie Parker is playing with excellent musicians for the first time. <laughs> I'm like, Max Roach is going to take a drumstick and stick it so far up your ass. You're not going to, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, those people he played with before sucked. Yeah, they weren't oh as good as God. Mitch Miller. It's like fuck, you suck it, Norman. You know? God. I mean, I, I've always thought those recordings are fine and liked them, and I'm glad they're part of the discography. But I didn't know he said that. It's like, damn, maybe you shouldn't have reprinted this the way it was. Yeah. Anyway, to get off that tangent, yeah, I, I think the strings are just. I, I don't know this project needed other layers. I think it probably needed more clarity, as you've been saying. There's a lot of busyness. I think, again, I think it's fine. It doesn't go wrong. I don't think it's bad. I think they're well played, but I'm not sure that these, I hear aesthetic necessity in these songs for strings as well, uh, for the most part. So, I mean, again, it's, it's kind of impressive that he got this crew together and did this. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, wow, because it's not just getting the, the jazz group, but then also a, a string quartet. You know, that's just, but, um, and you know, he uses once or twice, he uses marimba. Yeah. And as does um, Chin Chin. And I think it that's helpful and that it does change up the texture. And it's it's got a different, you know, this is the strike. It's just got a different resonance. And that kind of, you know, helps. But, yeah, this one was tough. I think it, it it's not a bad record by any stretch. It's just it's a little hard to love or to get into. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the sophomore release. You know, yeah. you know that'll be interesting to see what direction – this guy goes in and and what what he ends up where he ends up going yeah yeah enough said
Okay, so our next album, Chin Chin Lose the Path, has a, a little story behind it. I was getting my horn serviced by Brent Laidler, and Brent is a one of the great uh, artists of fixing instruments in the Midwest, but he's also a very fine guitar player, and we interviewed him and talked about his album No Matter Where Noir back in episode 121 that came out on in 2017 on CD Baby. And he's a lot of fun. He's a great uh, storyteller. He's been in blues bands and jazz bands, and, you know, he's just he's a great guy. Very outgoing. And uh, so I dropped off there, and he mentioned that he's got a radio show on WBAA, which is the NPR station, or the, you know, the NPR station in Lafayette that's run by Purdue. One hour every Saturday night, he plays jazz. And it's past my bedtime, but I'm sure it's a great show. <laughs> he records the show and sends it in, so it's, you know, I don't know that he's awake when it goes live either. But, um, he said that he'd heard about this vibes player that played with Jeremy Pelt, the trumpeter, and looked up her record and really liked it and recommended it, The Path. And I said, well, I'm going to have to get hold of that. And I was looking around and realized I did. I had it already. It was a uh, review copy that um, we got back in 2020. And I'd listened to it a little bit, but just hadn't thought much about it. And, of course, when you don't know the name, it slips your mind and blah, blah, blah. So... I thought, well, we should listen to this. And I said, you know what? This is actually this is pretty good, just like Brent said it would be. And so we thought we put it on the show and then, of course, uh, paired it when I found out there's another Vibes Players debut coming out. So sounds like you like the path a little bit better than This Is Me, This Is Us. Talk a little bit about Chin Chin Lu's path, the path. Yeah, it's all about the funk. It's all about the groove. You know, um, it's not surprising that someone who's played with Jeremy Pelt is going to be a little more groove influenced and so there's there's a little something rhythmically and harmonically to hang on to here Unlike you, I really like Mo Better Blues here. Where did that organ s- come from? It's like a last minute. <laughs> Days I was pleased as- here. I don't know. I was pleased as fuck with that. I liked the <laughs> hell out of that. I thought it was cool. I, I was I was down with that. And uh, unlike you know, I've testified uh, in past podcasts about not liking the you know verbal interludes that people sometimes stick on their albums. But I kind of I didn't mind hers. They're okay. Would you they're, miss them? Uh, no, you wouldn't. No, them. but they're all right. They're interesting. Where she or someone is talking about, you know, jazz and being. She's not an Asian American. I don't think she's naturalized. She's from Taiwan, so she's you know Taiwanese. Um, uh, and I don't know if she's naturalized or not. But you know, listening to someone talk about being Asian and being a woman in in jazz, I thought was interesting. And they're short. They're not long. They're That's you know, true. Absolutely, they're little, yeah. they are interludes and they're easily skipped if you don't want to hear them again. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a group with uh, guitarist Quentin Zoto, pianist Shedrick Mitchell, Richie Goods on acoustic and electric bass, Alan 
Mednard on drums, Jamie Wignall on congas percussion, violinist Eugene Park and cellist Phoebe Tessay, and Jeremy Pelt guests on trumpet. So, and this is more, I think, of these albums, the most, not in a bad way, but produced the most, the least like just a small combo, right? The one that there are more guest spots and it's just a little bit more of a production, which is not a bad thing in my book. I mean, we're just talking about CTI last time, for God's sakes, but, you know, it's just a little bit less kind of this is a jazz group playing jazz kind of thing. And it's not all originals, which is like a a really good thing. Um, So that there's some good tunes here, uh, some, I think, judicious choices that, you know, I think it's a reasonably well-programmed album in terms of uh, changing, you know, pace and so forth. How you liked blue and green? I thought it was a little sleepy, frankly. But um, well, that was uh, one where it was clearly a revisionist take. Yes. I don't know that I see that one. I'm like, okay, well, you're you've got something to say about this tune. I don't know if it's yes. my favorite, but you're saying it. The one that kind of struck me as a little bit just out of place was invitation. Hmm. I, I think I, as I went back to it, I realized, well, yes, you, the, the rhythms have been updated a bit. But just the trumpet playing that well-known jazz tune, it just seemed like we're back kind of in jazz central, where most of the album was staying away from jazz central. And I liked it all the better for that. Or at least if it's going to be away from it most of the time, it seems odd to wander into those more traditionalist waters just for a tune. But, I mean, it, it's fine performance. Uh, it was it, I love Invitation Song. I don't, you know, it's just... It's very distinctive, and it seems very much of a time and a place to me somehow. I don't know why. I, I will say it was a song that I, I never thought I'd say this about Jeremy Pelt, but I was like, dude sounds like Tom Harrell. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, holy cats. That little round I mean, tone there, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, wow. You know, it's very kind of – it's not a flugelhorn, but it's like, dude, very sort of round, burnished, plummy tone. I, was, I just have never associated that tone with Jeremy Pelt. I was like, interesting. I kind of like the Latin feel of that. I thought that was cool. It was all right. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seemed a little bit more from a different record. But, but mm. yeah, you know, but yeah, because it starts out, you know, we live in Brooklyn, baby. Great title. Yeah, very funky, and you know I'm up for that. It, it yes. doesn't have to. It doesn't have to all be straight ahead or whatever. Then she, there's a couple numbers that seem to be for one of a more sophisticated word because I just don't know crap. Asian, you know, Asian origins, Asian melodies blossom in a stormy night, for instance, or the right. path. The notes tell me that they play, pay homage respectively to classical Taiwanese and Chinese forms. Again, I have to rely on the notes for that, but they do sound to my untrained ears to be Asian, you know, an origin of some kind. So there's some of that, there's some of the funk. There's see, what I like blues, about yeah. those, to interrupt for one second, like no, no, to please, just take yeah. blind, blind faith for a second, you know, it starts with those opening sort of notes on the, on the vibraphone, and then a fucking bass takes off.
and and it's like okay we're gonna like mix stuff up here so when you first hear those those notes on the vibraphone you're like okay right it's very sort of you know stately it sounds you know deliberately taiwanese if you will right and then that bass takes off and you're like whoa right right and, and, and then it's a nice then we have interplay right and i that i love the bass on that song i mean the guy is tearing it up that's that's one to turn up kids and and get the bass in your ears if you can because uh uh wow he's good i mean i um, I, it, I don't think it's mixed too low i mean i think it's pretty right yeah absolutely it's mixed it's right i mean because yeah. it was any louder you wouldn't be able to to hear <laughs> her over it but you know you do need to pay attention to um what the bass player is doing there because uh there's some good work happening uh i, I like that a lot i thought that was clever i enjoyed those those moves um, but again, same problem I always have with vibes. You know, it's like there are other songs, and I'm kind of like, all right, what am I supposed to do with this? Where's my head supposed to go? I just have trouble. I, I, I feel guilty about this. I have the same problem with Gary Burton, so it's not, you know, this is a perpetual issue for me. You know, Jason Adeshevitz does this to me, so um, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's, That's nothing not like a against- showtime documentary. Jason Adeshevich did this to me. Jason Adeshevich and Gary Burton did this to me. Point yeah. to the doll. Where did the mallet go? Okay. Where did the, I, I just, and I've got a pile of Gary Burton. I mean, I listen to this stuff all the time and it's just like, oh, I love man, Gary. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I know. And I'm just not, of, yeah. I'm just not there. I mean, I like him, but it's like, I haven't got, I haven't had that aha moment. Like with a lot of difficult things, I get to an aha moment. I'm like, aha. Yes, uh, I get it. And man, it just has not happened uh, uh, for me on vibes yet. Uh, typically, it has to be something else that, that gets my attention. So anyway, so on some songs, the only thing that keeps me going is the is the um, the funk, the bass, you know, imaginary enemy, man, the, the bass is doing awesome work there. It's just some really cool stuff happening aside from the vibraphone. And that makes me feel bad because I feel like you know, it's like someone has served me a really fine uh, uh, meal of some, you know, really wonderfully flavored and seasoned meat, and I'm just eating ve- the vegetables. You know, I'm like, oh man, I sure do love this. Uh, I-, I love these potatoes au gratin. You know, it's like, what about the steak? Eh. <laughs> and I feel guilty about that. Well, I liked um, Blind Faith because she whips out the marimba there. Yeah. And to me, it gave me some of that 70s Bobby Hutcherson vibes, a vibe, as it were, a joke. Ha <laughs> ha. But yeah, it's a little known fact. I actually think his Columbia albums are pretty good. People write those off. They're so commercial and everything. It's like, well, they are commercial sounding, but they're also pretty fucking awesome. So listen to them. They're not just mindless, you know, elevator music by any stretch, including Conception, The Gift of Love, which I think we riffed on about 10 minutes at one point. So yeah, I, she'll bring out the murmur a couple times for contrast, and that is a little bit more direct instrument in some ways. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't worry about it. I don't know that. I could judge her as is she where does she rank in the, the the you know the lists of great vibraphone players or improvisers I you know it's a texture I enjoy it I enjoy her playing but I don't yeah I don't have a real firm sense of what makes her a distinctive vibraphone player other than the way she's programmed the album and arranged it and the kind of forces she brings to it and the attitude and that I think comes through pretty well I mean as a leader I feel like I understand her fairly fairly well even if as a vibraphonist I don't know that I know that much about her I, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup and kind of a generic performance of some standard or whatever and say oh that's obviously chin chin you know but maybe with time i'll be able to
but I thought the, the record overall was a lot of fun. I'm glad that, uh, I had my attention drawn to it. Uh, so thanks, Brent. You know, I, I, like I said, it was, I had it somewhere on a hard drive, but I'd probably listened to it once. That's not bad, but just, you know, got distracted by other things and we didn't have a, an occasion at that time to talk about it. So I'm glad that came up because I think it's pretty strong. And again, you know, looking forward to what comes next and, you know, maybe 10 years from now, if I'm still around and, you know, what you going to be doing? Cool record. Well, do you have any pop matters on your mind? What has come across the transom recently? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Do you, know, do you know a band, a pop band called The Weepies? No. I've been listening to a fair amount of The Weepies, a male and female pairing uh, from Iowa City. Sort of a twee indie pop stuff from the early 2000s, which I like quite a bit. Um, you might give them a listen since you like Twee. But the one that I have picked up recently that I just, I got the deluxe edition, uh, forgot how much I loved this band. And in fact, I, I realized I, I had other releases by them at one point and I need to get them back. The wonderful, immortal, brilliant Songs the Lord Taught Us by The Cramps. Oh, what yeah. A, what a fucking great album. That is kids if you haven't if you haven't listened to any psycho billy if you don't know what psycho billy is this is the album that invented a genre and you need to go out and get this fucking album songs the lord taught us holy shit it's like elvis crossed with someone with the hiccups and satan yeah i mean (laughs) i've never heard anyone sing like he has the hiccups i mean just you know the tv set song is hilarious Uh, it just sounds like he's he has the hiccups for the whole song. It's amazing. And I, after I got the album again and started listening to it, this has got some, um, it's got an outtake from I Was a Teenage Werewolf. <laughs> I, f- I forget the name of, I mean, I know his real, I don't remember his real name. So the, the lead singer's name is, unfortunately, Lux Interior. That's a stage name, obviously. That's you. Was, That's a great name. He was like, whatever, 6'2", and he would wear platform heels and, um, you know, skin-tight leather pants that were low-rise for the 70s, you know. So, apparently, they often came off during performance. Anyway, uh, he, um, in the studio version of the False Start version of I Was a Teenage Werewolf, someone did something wrong. And he has a full-on, he has a full-on entitled artist meltdown where he's screaming at this person like, get the fuck out of here, man. I'm trying to do work. He's just, and I'm like, you're in a band called the cramps. I mean, you know, and he's, he's having this, he's having like a Christian Bale meltdown, you know, like he's oh screaming my, at okay. <laughs> it's really, 
really funny. And they're from um, they're from like Toledo. Those guys, um, the he and the uh, guitarist Poison Ivy, they were like boyfriend girlfriend, and they're from you know Toledo or something. And you can hear his Midwestern accent, you know. So he, you know, all of the the, the goth ghoul weirdness goes away, and he's just like a Midwestern, like man, what the fuck are you doing, you know? And I'm like, oh my god, it's just so weird to hear that voice hmm. after you hear him. After you hear him sing. So anyway, I uh, I picked it up and then I went and read a Pitchfork article about them and it was a you know a reverent Pitchfork article as you can imagine, um, just talking about you know how amazing they were when they first started out and people they were so scary like there were you know the clubs in New York that were thought they were edgy for playing like the Talking Heads were scared to have the Cramps on stage because they're like. Who are these freaks? You know, they, they scared the people at CBGBs, you know, in places like that. They were so fucking weird. So anyway, I love, love, love that album. And I've heard a bunch of the other stuff back when we were roommates. And I just need to track it down because, man, they were good. They were a yeah, lot well, of fun. I've got a date with Elvis, and that's one with corn-fed yeah. dames. It is actually disturbing. Yes. And uh, I, I might have one other. I mean, I, I don't, you don't need tons of cramps, but the songs the Lord taught us, I've always felt like it's a definitive. I had that on vinyl. I had a really quiet dub for years, and I finally went back and redid it and got a decent, you know, a louder. Just for some reason, the, the, the it was recorded super quiet. And so that's, but yeah, it's an amazing, amazing record. It has, for my money, one of the best covers of Fever ever. Well, I mean, Strict Nine's a cover, which is amazing when you think yes. someone wrote the song who wasn't the Cramps. But yeah. I know. I, it, you, it, you can't <laughs> imagine it's not a Cramps song. But yeah, their cover of Fever, it's, you know, I mean, it, I think it's just him over bass. Like, I don't think anyone else is playing. It's just doom, doom, doom. You know, it's just literally like three notes, and, and he's, you know, belching out the song behind it. Yeah, and if, if you can see, you know, hey, kids... Go get pictures. Just Google the Cramps. Um, the name of this band uh, is as spelled. They are scary. They are just you know scary looking. Apparently, according to the Pitchfork article, their early dates. You know, people threw bottles at them, and you know they were just. No one knew what to do with these guys when they walked out on stage. You know, they just freaked everyone the fuck out. Which is kind of fun to think about how they later kind of had a cult following. But you know, when they started, no one was doing what they did. You know, well, like, sure, right, yeah. But it's, it's like not... we we've seen a lot of Boris Karloff movies, and we think Wanda Jackson is cool. So let's make an album. You know, that's what that's where they come from. You know, it's just really weird. It's like really evil surf, surf music, basically. I mean, that's kind of the the musical reference is, is surf music, but yeah. But slowed down, like you know, not played. Well, fast. not right. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's miserable. You know, yeah, yeah. I I love them. I think they're brilliant. I think they're genius. So. Oh yeah. yeah. How about you? From the sublime to the ridiculous, one of the things I picked up recently was an audiophile re-release of Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project. We've talked about them before. <laughs> Let me just quote you from the BBC. Uh, they're talking about a four-album set. It, there's been many, many reissues, that, which included 
uh, Eye in the Sky. The four albums that comprise phase one of the expanded and remastered re-release of the entirety of the Alan Parsons project may still jog the memory of a few old hippies as the stuff you turned on between Pink Floyd releases. But for younger listeners, the most obvious reference is the use of the outfit's name as Dr. Evil's Death Ray in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, appropriately enough considering how often their output suggests oral death through bloated pomposity. At the very end, it says, After 1980, hi-fi shops regularly used Alan Parsons Project's albums to demonstrate CD systems coming onto the market, which perhaps indicates the project's proper place in the scheme of things. While it is both surprising and depressing to note that the APP have managed 43 million album sales without ever having played a live show, as the press release boasts, some comfort can be taken from the fact that the project have never had a major hit signal single in the UK. All in all, these re-releases best serve as a reminder of the unacceptable face of progressive rock and as a reminder of why punk rock had to happen. Perhaps John Lennon only scrawled I hate above his Pink Floyd t-shirt because if he had used the Alan Parsons project, no one would have had any idea who he was talking about. So <laughs> that Jeez. is one critic's take on the Alan Parsons project. That's a little harsh, don't you think? Just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, well. It's, as I said before, Yacht Rock for nerds, and it's fun. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, it's serious. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, it's really serious. There were times when I could have murdered her But you know I would hate anything to happen to her So the other thing I listened to recently is also old Rank the Smiths albums. What what would you say the Studio Smiths albums? What what's your ranking of those? I'm curious. Oh golly, I'd have to look at them real quick. That's uh, uh so let's see the Studio Smith albums, not the um. So let's see. Not Let me just many. I think the live one is called Rank, but we don't want to rank. Yeah. Rank. Um. So if we look up the Smiths, which is take my computer a couple of seconds to get to the page. There we go. The Smiths. And I want to consider there's uh, only five. I mean, there's multiple there's, there's releases five, of their singles, yeah. but. It, it's uh Hatful of Hollow is singles, right? Or no? It is, yeah. See, there's like three different compilations of singles with huge amounts of overlap. Right. So the the four albums really are The Smiths, The Queen is uh, Meet is Murder, The Queen is Dead, and Strange Ways Here We Come. Um, I'm going to put Meet is Murder at the bottom. I know a lot of people love that album, but I, it really gets on my fucking nerves. There's a bunch of things about that that I don't like although it's got you know some indelible tunes i'm gonna put uh, i think strange ways might be their prettiest poppiest album so i'm gonna put that third i'm gonna, I'm gonna put strange ways third i do like me some strange ways so then you know i think that the question is of of the smiths or um the smiths or the queen is dead and I think the standard answer here is going to be The Queen is Dead is number one and The Smiths is number two, although purists would probably reverse that order and say... Really? Okay. Know, I think so. I think you know how people are who are all in at the beginning of a band. They're going to be like, the best, the first album was the best album. Just so you know, um, the order is actually on uh, Rate Your Music. Queen is Dead, one. Um, the Smiths, two. Meet is Murder, three. Narrowly above Strange Ways, Here We Come. I just like 
some of the melodies on Strange Ways here become quite a bit, actually. Strange Ways has like four really good songs and about five really mediocre ones. So Yeah. Yeah. So what did you have? What are you listening to? Well, and to? I see I would include for me, their best album is Louder Than Bombs. Oh yeah, but that's a compilation. I right? know, I mean, but but yeah. I, I don't care. It's studio. I, I I agree with that. I mean, I mean Louder Than Bombs is like that's everything you need, right, in one album. It's just yeah, I just the consistency of it is 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 fantastic, and to me, I know The Smiths is an important record, but God, it sounds like shit. Yeah, it's not mastered well. Yeah. It is. Just, I guess they found a producer starting with Meet Me is Murder. But yeah. the first one, it just it's amazing how dead sounding it is. And in a sense, I think Marr went from strength to strength, the guitarist who wrote all these arrangements. I mean, basically, the band would lay down a track, and then as far as I know, Morrissey would improvise or come up right. with something over it. But it was kind of a two-step process, a little bit like R.E.M. worked. And... um you know, I just feel like by the end of it, he was just doing amazing things. You know, Strange Ways, some of those things are little pocket symphonies. They but are. as you said, yeah, Strange Ways is kind of, I mean, Marissi's superpower was empathy. Yes. And he started losing it around Strange Ways. And then by, you know, Viva Hate, he's making fun of the Bengali in platforms. It's like, I know, that's that's got to be the nadir of his career that song yeah um, I mean, it's just an embarrassing i think it's an embarrassing i guess if you uh, care about the people inside your circuit somehow you have to hate the people because it's like he's, he's amazingly generous and to, to like awkward teenagers you know it's, yeah and a lot of it's about him but some of it isn't you know some of it's just about other awkward teenagers so yeah i i actually like meet his murder pretty well i know that the title track is annoying as fuck and i guess i i grew up on the american version of it that had um how soon is now yeah. Which is an amazing tune that really was not officially part of that album. So that kind of weighs it for me a bit. But yeah, I, I definitely, I think my favorite is, is Louder Than Bombs. And then after that, I, you know, I, I guess probably The Queen is Dead. I, I feel like The Queen is Dead has two really self-indulgent songs that I just like to skip. And then the rest of it is brilliant. Yeah. There's amazing songs on it. But when he's like really, ah. Uh, Oh, I've never, you know, it's like, okay, I, I don't care. If you've been celibate, you don't need to tell me in song, at least not at this tempo. <laughs> but yeah, I like that that one, and I probably, probably meet his murder that, after that, that yeah. I, I think this, uh, this uh, The Queen is Dead rocks harder than any of their other albums. That's true, yeah. And like I said, I mean, it just never had no one ever. I, I just think it's, and I know it's over, those two kind of drag it down for me a little bit but i i've never been i mean the mopey side of morrissey is not my favorite yeah but, the witty got, side. They've, but yeah. they've got some killer songs well, frankly I mean, mr shankly is, is genius big mouth strikes again is, is fucking classic i mean just fucking classic you know there's just some oh, I, yeah. as an overwhelming experience i i kind of like that one i like it quite a bit oh no it is it, it's it's yeah it's probably my favorite "Quote unquote," you know, studio album. It's not outtakes. Right. It's just they got those. And as I say, I probably put "Meet as Murder" next. I, I love. I think the thing is with with "Strange Ways" is that yeah, four or five of those songs are some of the favorite Smith songs they've ever did, especially yeah. in terms of what Mars doing. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. The and first half of that of album suck. is they just yeah, they're the, really weak. The first um, half of that album is lights out. I mean. A Rush and a Push, I Started Something, Death of a Disco Dancer, um, and Stop Me If You've Heard, Stop Me If You've Heard This One Before. Those are fucking brilliant. And then, um, you know, then there's some some languors, you know? Right. I, I kind of like Happy Birthday last... is brilliant, but yeah, the rest of the side, too, otherwise, it's kind of... 
draggy. Uh, uh, yeah, it's got some. It's got some. You know, and it clo- it's got one of the worst closing songs ever. I won't share you. It's just stupid. I've never liked that song. But shit, I mean, they they had so they had some brilliance when it came to opening albums. You know, a rush yeah. and a push is a great, brilliant opening song. I mean, fucking drop dead brilliant opener and the same for uh i think it's probably true of all of their albums all of their studio albums have really good openers reel around the fountain is a great song great great song and uh meet is murder that's a good opener as well the headmaster ritual i mean oh, jesus yeah. <laughs> that's a great song you know i i, mean? I, I think that album is, is underrated i think there's a lot of good tunes on it. i can't stand i cannot stand meet is murder i really can't I, and don't I you think some grilling. of that stuff is yeah i can't don't you think some of that album is i mean it sounds foolish to even use these words with morrissey because it's oxymoronic but i mean as, even for morrissey don't you feel like some of the some of that album is really self-indulgent yeah i don't know i just yeah i barbarism begins at home is about six and a half minutes too long no it's perfect i love that <laughs> disco beat anyway yeah no wah wah he goes anyway uh, i was just thinking about that as we were playing uh at the dinner table meet his murder and I, i've got to go back i can listen to smith again i feel like i just last couple of times i tried to just bounced off because it was so thin sounding but Where, I are know you on strong a- songs on it yeah where are you on Morrissey uh, solo albums? I have, uh, let's see, I have Viva Hate, Kill Uncle, Your Arsenal, Vauxhall, and I. And then the next one, the last one I have is um, uh, You Are the Quarry, which has one or two killer songs, I've always okay. thought. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I probably. I Irish probably, Blood English Heart is a great song. I need, like, a greatest hits, is what I need from his. Yeah, it's probably true. And that concludes Jazz Bastard Podcast 218. As always, you can download the podcast at www.jazzbastard.com, at Apple Podcasts, at Stitcher, at Mixcloud, and you can stream it at All About Jazz. You can look me up at All About Jazz if you like. You can check me out on Facebook or send an email to pat at jazzbastard.com or if hope springs eternal to mike at jazzbastard.com. Tune in next time as we do a special devoted to the Young Lions. Everybody say it together with me. Grr. We're going to talk about albums by Marcus Roberts, Mark Whitfield, Kenny Kirkland, and Nicholas Payton. Until next time, put on your three-piece suits and take care. No, oh yeah, I forgot to give my shout out. I, I forgot to say good night to Mrs. Gillespie wherever you are. Um, someone on the rate your music, <laughs> someone on the rate your music page, their review of of you are the quarry it consists simply of this. It, it, there's a title for an album called You Are the Curry. <laughs> <laughs> And then the 10 songs for an album called You Are the Curry. Girlfriend in a Korma. <laughs> First of the Gang to Dine. 
pretty girls make gravy. Oh, oh, <laughs> see oh. if you can remember. See if you can remember the songs that, that these come from. November spawned a mozzarella meat feast. <laughs> come on, you're off. Because there's such a thing as masala gravy that you need. But now let's not leave the Indian theme here. Okay, all right. Uh, the world is full of crashing Balties. <laughs> the yogurt was the most loved. You just haven't earned it yet, baby back ribs. All right. Uh, yeah. no, <laughs> wait, wait. No. Miserable white cheese. <laughs> Meat cheese. Sorry. There's a pizza in hell for me and my friends. <laughs> I, yeah, some of these are no other. And mocking. death of a disco's multi pack. <laughs> wow. I do think girlfriend in a korma is genius. <laughs> that Well, that worked out if it's going to be, yeah. I mean, you need to stick with nothing but Indian cuisine there. Go back to the drawing board, sir or madam. 